Oh, hearty folk and friends of First Lutheran Church, may the grace of God enfold you on this chilly morn. As Martin Luther was wont to say, like a hot loaf of bread fresh out of the oven, in the name of the one who is the bread of heaven, Christ the Lord. Amen. Last Sunday from Matthew chapter 3, we witnessed Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan with God the Father's voice alighting upon Jesus like a dove. It was a claiming word of promise, one that would carry Jesus with confidence all the way to the lengths of the cross and through his resurrection. And that holds true for each one of you as well this day. In God's claiming word from your baptism. And so with a spirited and splashing wet word of promise, God is saying right now, right here to you, you are my beloved daughter, you are my beloved son, on you my favor rests always. Today, we hear from the first chapter of St. John's Gospel, where Jesus steps out and up from the watery banks of the River Jordan, beginning his ministry, gathering his disciples, and it's like this domino effect that continues to topple our humdrum lives with God's gangbuster gravity of grace for us still today. Now, just a brief story from some modern-day disciples who continue to share this gospel word of Christ, of God's claiming word for you as God's beloved children. It had been a long, cold winter in 1996 for the student body of Montana State University. A year so full of snow, it reminded me of that famous line of George Herbert's, that every mile is two in winter. In the midst of this cold, dark winter, there's a beautiful young woman named Sage, one of my absolute faves in the honors program. She was a philosophy major. She'd just been invited by one of her skiing buddies, Greta, to attend an evening candlelight service at our Center for Campus Ministry. While presiding for worship at the Center a couple of nights later, I saw Sage's face break out into this great big smile, sitting smack dab there in the center section, front row with her girlfriend, Greta. Sage looked like this young lady who just jumped out of the 60s, with her floral printed peasant dress, long flowing hair, and Birkenstock sandals. But with heavy woolen socks, of course. Well, after the worship service, she came up to me and said, PJ, I've been going around now for several years with this hole in my heart. Missing something I've never had, but knew it was there searching for relevance when it's really truth I've been looking for. 
You know, that truth that gives meaning beyond just the daily grind. I guess something that transcends or is more than, more than our nailed down flat earth society. So PJ, she said, tonight as we gathered around the light of God's word for us and that communion thing, well, that something found me. And that hole in my heart, I think it's been filled. Now, I told you she was a philosophy major. Our gospel lesson for the second Sunday in Epiphany contains a remarkable little sentence with a big consequence, one that brings light into darkness, filling the holes of our lives like sage with true and lasting meaning. This little sentence is reminiscent of one of the old Roman philosopher's rhetoric. His name was Cicero. And this little Latin tag that he used is multum imparvo, much in little. That is to say, a person's whole life can be changed by just a few simple words, a simple invitation. Words like Greta's to her friend Sage. Words like Philip to his friend Nathaniel. Come and see. It's the gospel invitation in a nutshell. Come and see. You know as well as I that words are very powerful. They have the power to create the reality of which they speak. On the one hand, they can be life-giving. Consider some examples from our daily life. I love you. You passed. The cancer is gone. You know how good these words can make you feel uplifted. It's also important to note that words themselves don't exist alone. They're inseparably connected with a particular person or deed that gives them their power and their meaning. A caring parent or spouse who expresses love or the prowess of a gifted surgeon in bringing good news of healing. And so in our gospel lesson connected to the word of Philip, come and see is Jesus himself who is the word. He who is the fount, the wellspring of all light and life and salvation. Now, on the other hand, words can be life-taking. They can destroy, they can even kill. Consider again some examples from our daily life. I hate you. The test results, well, they don't look so good. I never want to see you again. Devastating words that bring more pain than I can ever describe. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> really? So words can be life-giving and life-taking. Yesterday I saw a bumper sticker that reads, Deeds, not words. Well, at times this is a much-needed corrective, especially for all the empty rhetoric that's in the church and culture today, if talk is only talk. 
but it must not obscure the deeper truth that words are deeds. Mission always begins with God's word that sets the foundation, then leads us forth into the needs of the world. With this in mind, we do well then to approach these three little words of Philip's in today's text with both respect and anticipation. For in the events of Jesus calling the first disciples, God speaks to his people of all times and in all places as here today. They're brief words, but their meaning is vast, indeed eternal. Come and see. Immediately following Jesus' baptism, as you've just heard, St. John gives us an account of Jesus calling his first disciples, and it begins with Jesus calling Andrew, who in turn invites his brother Simon Peter into Jesus' presence. Jesus then calls Philip, who in turn invites his friend Nathaniel. Are you getting this domino effect picture? Come and see. My friends, this is the very heart of our text. In a direct sense, this is the heart of the church's call to be witnesses for Christ in every generation, among the whole priesthood of all believers, through all the century that have come since Pentecost and still lie ahead of us. Come and see. Now, Nathaniel's response to Philip is a classic bypass of the human heart one that refuses in all of our presumption to even look, and therefore we cannot see. What do I mean by this? Well, Jesus, or in Jesus' time, Nazareth was a rather out-of-the-way, blink-and-you-miss-it spot in Galilee. Nazareth was what people today would probably call a hick town. You know, ponder this with me for a moment. As conversations are first struck, what's one of the first questions? Where are you from? What do you do, right? Well, let me give you some help here. If you don't want people to be bugging you on the plane, for example, just tell them you're from Cow Chip, Wyoming, <laughs> or that you're a mortician. That just is a conversation killer right there. We almost always operate with this faulty logic that if something's really worth our time, then it must be some impressive place or impressive vocation, right? Logicians call this the genetic fallacy. And so comes Nathaniel's response, come and see. Are you kidding? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The spirit of these words can easily be found in our own time. Let's not be so hard on Nathaniel. An article from USA Today dated January 3rd entitled, God, Religion, Atheism, So What? It pictures an apathetic generation in America who say all religious opinions are equally valid. Quote, we might as well be cars, unquote. A patient at a local hospital, when asked what his religious preference was, responded, 
myself. Or the confirmation student and parents who say they're too busy to read the Bible. Yet the Nielsen Report tells us families on average today watch, get this, four to five hours of TV a day. Yeah, we're too busy. I think it's about priorities. And as to the issue of relevance reigning supreme over truth claims, listen into this analysis from the world-renowned sociologist Peter Berger, who writes, a man who marries the spirit of the age soon finds himself a widower. For relevance is here today and gone tomorrow, no matter how with it or hip you might consider your experience. Left holding a bag with a hole in it. Yet, what's all this bravado but whistling in the dark? What will it take before we finally bottom out in our time of incredible wealth and complacency, living a lie that we're captains of our own destiny. As Martin Luther King used to say, we live in a time of guided missiles and misguided people. Talk to someone who's lost a child, someone who's now living alone in that big old house, confined to a wheelchair, someone suffering the heartbreak of divorce, someone who's struggling with permanent illness or cancer. Come and see. For each one of us stands in great need of God's saving, healing presence in our lives. As St. Paul states so emphatically in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, we are not our own. This is the painful word of the law that is our human condition. But if we read just into the next verse, verse 20, St. Paul writes, Yet, brothers and sisters in Christ, you have been bought with a great price by Christ's cross. Because of Jesus and his cross, we need not try to face the valley of the shadow all alone, for we are God's own. And here is the life-giving word of the gospel in Christ. Come and see. Finally, because of his abounding grace, God's invitation is persisting. God is not too big, but that he stoops down like a caring mother to pick us up, to turn on the light when we wake up afraid in the deep, dark night. God reaches us in the most lowly time and places in a manger, in meekness, even death. The American farmer poet Wendell Berry writes, the world grew darker and deeper, and then it was Christmas with light. Christ was born. And it is in these swaddling claws that God enfolds us in trusting us with his inviting word of light. And so we sing again today in our hymn of the day, Lord, speak to us that we may speak. My friends, to you and Christians everywhere, the inviting truth of the gospel is given. Come and see. Now, just a minute of a postscript. My friends, never ever feel that you can't be a part of this amazing invitation to bring light into the world's darkness in Jesus' name. 
Yes, I'm aware of the hesitancy. Things like, I don't know enough, I'm not some Billy Graham. But this is the very heart of mission. The reason for the church to make Christ's love known in word and then in deed. Such excuses only add to the silent spirit of God in our time of what I call Lutheran laryngitis where the Princeton study has recently told us that Lutherans invite another friend or neighbor or coworker to worship once every 17 years. Wow. None of the disciples, whether Andrew or Peter, Philip or Nathaniel, had seminary degrees or PhDs. As Martin Luther writes in his lectures on Romans, they are not the best Christians who are the most learned and read the most and abound in many books. The disciples were ordinary folk, like you and me, who couldn't but help talk about the extraordinary grace and love of God, friends of first. Like Nathaniel and Sage and many more, there are those right now who await being blessed by your invitation, an invitation that points to life and light of Christ. Come and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen.